You know what yinam is? Money spelled backwards. <laughs> However, the Lord has preempted that. And uh, he's spoken to me in some very special and very exciting ways. And with Easter coming next weekend and all of our thoughts turning towards bunnies and Easter eggs, he's put, he's put a heart in me to want to turn our thoughts towards him in a very special way. You know, it's real easy for us to kind of take Jesus for granted, isn't it? It's real easy for us because, well, we know he lives in us and we read the Bible and there's so much in this life and in this world that, that grabs at us for our attention, distracts us. And it's real easy because we're, we're imperfect beings for us to fall short of, of really understanding and come to grips with God's glory and worship him regularly. And as the Lord was speaking to me this week and I was up in the mountains, I was just, I was glorying in him praising him, worshiping him. Oh, it was just marvelous. Thanking him for the, the clean air, the, the beautiful mountains, the perfect snow. Marvelous. And he began to turn my heart towards him again in a, in a fresh and a new and an exciting way. And then as we, we conversed, he and I, and, and shared time, he began to call me to thinking about how I think about him, how I relate to him, and how easily I am distracted. And as the week went on, he continued to, to work in my heart and, and to, to call me to, to share with you uh, a, something refreshing, to call you to a place of, of once again seeing Jesus in his majesty and his glory and who he is in preparation for next week, so that next week when we celebrate his resurrection, that we can really grasp, really understand, really appreciate what his resurrection means, how exciting an event it is. You know, we need holidays. We need certain seasons and times, uh, to, events to mark our life. We need that kind of help. We can't go through life without them. Christmas and Easter, these two wonderful seasons that are, that are colored by other things but reflect very important, significant events for us in Jesus' life. We need those events. We need Christmas. We need Easter. We need a Palm Sunday to prepare ourselves for this incredible event called the Resurrection. And so in that kind of spirit, in that kind of mood, I, I want to share with you some of the things that the Lord has been doing with me and in preparing me. And I, I hope with all my heart that as I share out of my own, my own life, that your heart would be renewed, that you too would be prepared and excited, living expectantly all week, that you would go home and in your families and your, your home life begin to talk about, make a topic of conversation Jesus, Jesus, his glory and his majesty, his love, his grace. Be hard, as those of us with children, the talk is of the Easter bunny and hiding the eggs. 
and all those sorts of things. But then we can, we can make a concerted effort to make Jesus the topic of our conversation, how much we love him, how much he loves us. I want you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Colossian church. Page 1204. In the New Testament. We're going to pick it up in the 15th verse, the first chapter, and read some incredible things that Paul writes about Jesus. Things, again, that will focus our attention on who he is and, and on his majesty. Once again, Refresh for us the person of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to flip over into Matthew and see some other attitudes that are not exactly the same as these that Paul conveys. 15th verse of the first chapter of Colossians, Paul begins. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is God come in the flesh, down to earth, to talk to us face to face, to walk amongst us, to say, this is what God is like. Look at me. If you've seen me and known me, you've seen and known the Father. I am the, the perfect reflection of God. Incredible, isn't it, that God would become a man and walk amongst us and talk to us and tell us what he was like and show us what he wanted to do and how he wanted to heal our lives. He's the image of the invisible God, the God we can't see, we can't reach out and touch. Jesus makes God tangible in our midst. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Whoa. Do you know that he has my very next breath and your very next breath in his thoughts? that our very existence, our very being, we're held together by him. He hasn't forgotten us. Everything we have, everything we are, we owe to him. Continuously. Everything is his. He is before all things, pre-existent, before anything existed, John writes about that in the first chapter of his gospel. And in him all things hold together. Whoa. My old body holds together in him. My marriage holds together in him. My sanity holds together in him. My work holds together in him. We've been talking for the past several weeks about being in the spirit being in his spirit, being filled with his spirit. How in the world can we expect our lives to make sense? How in the world can we expect our families to hold together? And How in the world can we expect anything 
healthy and, and positive to happen if we're not in him, being held together by him, devoted to him. When I read these passages, I was so excited again. It just renewing my understanding of, of how much I need him. <laughs> Made me want to just rush to him and say, oh, Lord, praise you, thank you, I love you. Like a little child. A grateful little child who's whose father has just given him a wonderful gift. And, and that little child is beside him and says, Oh, Daddy, Daddy, I love you. Thank you very much. Oh, you're the greatest dad. Can you relate? I love to hear my son say those things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, if, big word, huh? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Wow. Blameless. Cleansed. Free. His death, his sacrifice on my behalf is efficient and sufficient for me if I hold to it. That's why I need these seasons. That's why I need Christmas and Easter. That's why I need the Bible. That's why I need reminders, because it's my natural tendency to drift away, to take Jesus for granted, say, oh, praise the Lord, to sing the songs kind of mindlessly without with opening up my heart and dedicating myself to that. I need these times of reminder. I need to be encouraged. I need to get away. I need to say, Lord, Lord, refresh me. Do a sovereign work in me. We need to encourage one another along these same lines. Why? So that we see his majesty. So that we see his preeminence. His supremacy. So we begin to catch fresh glimpses of who he is in truth. That he is God Almighty. The Lord of glory. Worthy of our worship. Worthy of our prayer. Worthy of everything. As we prepare our hearts talk with him, to think about him, to enjoy the celebration of his resurrection from the dead. Turn with me to the 21st chapter of Matthew.
being Palm Sunday, we're going to read about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's almost a misnomer, triumphal entry. He was coming to Jerusalem to be the sacrificial lamb. It was Passover. That was the big festival, the big season for the Jews. And he was going to be that, that final sacrificial lamb that was going to be offered up for our sins, for our fallenness, that we might embrace him in a relationship with him, and then in that relationship, we might enter a relationship with the Lord freely. Free gift. Matthew records as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Marvelous, huh? Apparently there was some prearrangement, some agreement, some understanding that when Jesus would arrive, that there would be a, a colt, donkey with a colt tied up, made available to him, and that all would have to happen was that the disciples would come, they would untie the colt, if anyone would say anything, all they would have to say was, the Lord has need. And they would say, take them, they're yours. Isn't that marvelous? With an understanding of who he is and his preeminence, his majesty, that he's king, could he say about us the same thing, go into wherever, go into so-and-so's house, reach into so-and-so's heart, speak to them about whatever, tell Roger Harmon that we need another mini-church pastor. And Roger Harmon would say, who would say that? And we would say, well, the Lord. And Roger Harmon would say, I'm yours. No problem. See, can the Lord say that about all of us, that we are so devoted, so submitted because we, we understand who he is, that whatever we have is, is at his disposal, our very life? Here we have a, a donkey in the colt of a donkey. Say, what big deal but it's representative of, of our very life, that which we have to make available. Say, oh, Lord, I want you, whatever, whatever I can do. Can he say that about each of us? What are the areas that we guard very carefully? They say, Lord, you can have everything except this area. <laughs> eh, not this one. Not my time. Not my money. Not my energy. Lord, I'm too busy doing all these other things. Come on now, Lord, I've done all that before, and now... <laughs> Don't you love it? If anyone says anything to you, tell him the Lord has need of them, and he will send them. Exciting. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? See, you can only relate to that in a positive manner if you have an appropriate view of Jesus. And who's asking him? of you. Jesus, the preeminent one, the king. You drop everything to serve him. Drop everything. 
Wow. He quotes Zechariah, who is a prophet to Israel and announcing the coming of their king, and he gives them a number of signs, one of which Matthew quotes, how they would recognize their coming king. Now, of course, Israel wasn't into recognizing a meek and humble king, certainly riding in on a colt of a donkey. They wanted their king to come riding in in a chariot with soldiers and spears, power. <laughs> Sometimes we want God doing that in our life, and we don't want him doing it in quiet, gentle, meek ways and working through us in the same kind of ways. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you. Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Your king! Israel's not prepared for that. Well, some people are. But not the nation as a whole. Well, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Excited. These were people who were enthusiastic and, and thrilled and excited that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They cut branches off the trees. They laid them down. They laid their, their coats down in front of them. They were laying their lives down. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Oh, he's a nice guy. He was a prophet, prophet from Nazareth. He was probably one of the best people to ever live. Who is this? Read what Paul has to say. Read what John writes about him in the first chapter of his gospel. Read the second chapter of Hebrews. Who is this? Who is this? If they had any understanding, if they had any inkling of who he was, they'd be on their faces before him. We'd be on our faces before him. If we truly understood who he is, we wouldn't treat him casually. We'd be on our faces before him, praising his name like we're going to be in heaven because then we're going to see him clearly. And the worship is going to be pure and sweet and glorious. Inspiring. Why? Because we'll see him clearly. We have a picture of him in the scriptures. Paul tells us about him. The preeminent one. The one to whom all glory and honor and obedience and praise is due. Jesus. Mark records that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, he goes straight for the temple, but it's late in the afternoon, so he doesn't do anything. He just looks around. 
Matthew picks up the account the next day when he arrives back at the temple. Kind of like Mark records the calm before the storm. Comes into the temple, looks around, sees that things aren't as they ought to be. Counts to ten, leaves, comes back the next morning. Things are still not as they ought to be. And Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. When Jesus comes, he comes into our life and he turns our lives upside down, doesn't he? And we resist because all the stuff that we know has meant, what, has meant security to us. And it's a threat when he turns all of our categories upside down. Don't do that, Lord. Don't do that. Oh, no, I don't, can't handle that. But he wants to put everything in order. He says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The Bible tells me that my life, my very body, is now the temple of the Spirit. Not a building, not like it was in, in those times. But that this body, my life, is the temple of the Spirit. That this life ought to be a place of prayer. A place of worship. The temple was a place of, of prayer and worship and sacrifice. So that my body needs to be a place of the sacrifice of obedience. And being obedient, boy, is a sacrifice. Oftentimes, isn't it? A temple, a place of prayer, a place of obedience, a place of praise. Pop, P O P. Prayer, obedience, and praise. Let's pop for Jesus. Never forget that now, will you? My house should be a house of prayer. A place where sacrifice of obedience is constantly going on. A place of constant praise and worship happening in the temple, his house, where he lives. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. I think that if if these things are going on where he resides, if there is praise going on, if there is prayer going on, if there is obedience going on, there's a free flowing of the Spirit through the temple that the blind and the lame can come and can receive healing from him. Not just the physical blind, the physical lame, but those who are spiritually blind and spiritually lame. They come into our presence and there's, there's such beauty, such peace, such joy, such love flowing out of this temple where God resides that these people's lives can't help but be impacted, ministered to. You can't fight love, can you? You can't fight it. People come and they say, will you quit loving me so much? I can't help it. I love you so much. 
because I'm so filled with God's love. I can't contain it. I, I have to ooze it out on you. You're going to win him. <laughs> because you understand who he is. Because he's preeminent in your life. Because you're, you're in love with him again. You've fallen in love with him. You're worshiping him. His first place in your heart. But when the chief priests, verse 15, and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were ecstatic. They said, all right, why, where have we been? We've missed this all along. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes. And children, thank you for... No? That's not the response of the chief priests and the... The elders? <laughs> the religious? They were indignant. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Indignant. Things weren't going the way they wanted them. Worship was happening. People were being healed. But it wasn't done according to the law. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, now he quotes from Psalm 8, verse 2, from the lips of children and infants, you, O God, have ordained praise. Children and infants. Doesn't Jesus say in other places, be as children be as children why do I have such a hard time with that why can't I be childlike not childish childlike not immature but mature in a, in a childlike way innocent just kind of naive trusting loving I've been beat up and ripped off and calloused, cynical. Tell me something, uh, I better check it out. Say, so, well, that's being wise. Well, maybe, I don't know. There's some of that I wish I could just get free from. So I could just worship him and love him and, and be free from all the worries and the hang-ups and all the stuff and junk in my life. But you know, the more I focus on who he is in reality, the more I, I understand his supremacy, his, his majesty, somehow the freer I seem to be. Somehow I, I come into grips and come into contact with the reality of he's got it all under control. I can let go. I don't have to control and manipulate and do all this stuff. I can rest in him. Some of my prayer life begins to, to change. I can even get emotional when I pray. Somehow it becomes easier to be obedient because I really want to. Being disobedient is not, a, it's not an issue for me. In my praise, uh, I find myself loving to sing to him. No longer just kind of mindlessly going through the rhyme and the, and the verse and so forth, but I, I relish every word. 
I inject sentiment and intensity into each word as I sing. Oh, God, praise your name. How I need Easter. How I need Christmas. How I need these times, these seasons to call me back to reflect on who he is. How I need to be in this book to read it for it to talk to my heart, my mind, to help me understand again, again, again who Jesus is, that I might bow before him, that I might worship him, that I might pray to him, that I might obey him as a child, as little children, freed up. I've invited the children to come in from our children's church, and I've invited them to lead us in worship. That we might look at these little ones and just smile and giggle with them and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Before they do, I want to call for our ushers to come receive our tithes and offerings as people who have gained.